You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. So, I feel like I'm, I might be aging myself a little bit with this thing in my hand. Um, anybody know what this is? Metal detector, yeah. Um, so yesterday, went with my family to the beach, and I brought my, my handy-dandy little, little uh, detector. Uh, super excited uh, about bringing this over there. I haven't used it a lot uh, being down here. I know we're in Florida. I probably should. Uh, but some of my, my best memories, some of my greatest memories, do you want me to put the hat on? I feel like I'm not really giving you the full experience here of, uh, of what this looks like. Go ahead. You can take some pictures. It is actually my wife's hat. Yeah, for sure. Um, and... Uh, and so um, some of my greatest memories uh, with my dad and my family growing up uh, involved one of these. We would take this to the beach. Um, we lived in New York, Long Island, uh, and at Jones Beach, uh, we'd go and we'd, we'd uh, go on the beach and right? look for treasure, look for buried treasure. And, uh, and so if you don't know anything about it, like as you're going back and forth, uh, you find little pieces of metal, which is not working, and then it beeps and makes all these words. There you go. And then you dig where where the treasure is, and um, so yesterday I brought it, and they, does my mic keep cutting in and out? Man. Talk Here we go, is that better? Sweet. So, um, we, we were at the beach, and uh, we're going, and, and here's the thing is, it's about time with my kids. So Sayla's there, Maya's there, uh, my other two kids were with their grandparents, and uh, we're out there, and we're just having, having so much fun with this metal detector, looking for buried treasure. And, um, and it's funny because everybody on the beach is like, what did you find? Did you get anything? Uh, and they wanted to know if you got, scored any big treasures. And uh, so we weren't actually finding anything. And so Sayla's like waving this thing all over the place. I'm like, you got to keep it near the ground. And then so I ran to the car, grabbed some change. And then uh, as she was like kind of on the other side of the beach, I found this like little patch. It was kind of in this semicircle that there was like this seagrass and there was a sand. And so I just threw a whole bunch of change in that area. And then I called them over. I'm like, I think there's some over here, right? And so she, we start looking, and, and at first we hear a beep, and she like goes over, and she starts kicking the sand around. I'm like, okay, that's not how you do, right? So you got to calm down, and you got to do it gently. So my mom comes over, and she starts using a little rake, and raking through, and she starts finding treasure, and they're having a blast, and, and they're loving finding these coins and these things in the sand. And uh, as, as we were doing that yesterday, it, it just brought to mind this passage of scripture that we're going to go into in Philippians. So if you have a Bible, grab it, Philippians 3. We're in the middle of a series called Joy, and, and here's where we've been so far, and I feel like this correlates to, to this metal detector and my time with my kids yesterday because I really do feel like the gist of the time together yesterday was to be with one another, for my daughters to enjoy me and for me to enjoy my daughters and to have an experience together and share time together, and my hope is that 
their focus didn't go straight to the treasure or the prize that they were finding in the ground, but actually that the prize was, was me, right? Was time and, and relationship with one another. And that's what we're going to open up to and look at today because here's the overarching framework that, that Paul has brought us through in Philippians so far up into this passage of Scripture. So we see that God has given us an identity. That identity is a child of God. That is the identity that God has given us if we have professed faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We were once an enemy, now we are a child. And we have all the blessings and all the ability to receive everything from Him as His child. Right? It's not like a, a redheaded stepchild as, as some of the, I know that's super derogatory, but like that's what we, not a black sheep in the family. That's not, we're, talk, we're talking about a child, a loved child, the apple of his eye, one whom he loves. That's why scripture says beloved. That's why he calls us that. And so he gives us an identity, a child of God, and then gives us a purpose as his children. And that's to glorify him by enjoying him and delighting in his blessings. God has so much to give to us. Do you believe that? God actually delights in blessing you. And he, he delights. I remember just seeing my kids picking up those coins out of the sand and the joy on their faces. There was so much delight in my heart watching them enjoy treasure hunting and finding those treasures. And if you're a parent, you know that. You delight in your kids having fun. You delight in your kids enjoying things. That's why you would take them to Disney. There's no other reason to go to Disney. It's crazy. But you do that and you struggle through it. Why? So that your kids can enjoy the wonders of something. And you delight in them. So our identity as a child, our purpose is to glorify God by enjoying him and delighting in his blessings. The playing field in which we get to, to live this out is everywhere we live, work, and play. Everywhere you are is where you get to enjoy God and delight in his blessings. Everywhere you exist. Now, I think sometimes we think that there is blessing somewhere else for us. But God says, no, there is blessing exactly where you are right now, where I have you. And then the game plan that he gives us is to love God, love others, and make disciples. So even just yesterday, just that enjoyment with my girls, just loving them, them loving me, just enjoying one another, have, teaching them how to love each other, right? My, the two girls, every time there was a coin, Maya and Selah, just like one after the coins, and they were like fighting with one another, and teaching them, what does it mean to love each other in these things? And then to teach, like my mom did, come over and rake in the sand and teach them how, what it looks like to dig for this treasure and enjoy this time together. And so what's the win? What's the prize that we have that Paul has walked us through? It's being with him. It's relationship. And then what we saw over the past couple weeks is resurrection. It's relationship with him now. And then it's resurrection so that we can spend eternity with him forever. And so that's the framework that Paul has led us up to until this point. And it's important because if you go into the middle of a book of the Bible and just like kind of drop and flop and open up your Bible and start reading, you're kind of reading it out of context. And so we have to set up that context before going in because we can misinterpret what it's saying. So let's jump in, Philippians 3, 12 through 16. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus 
has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Let us hold true to what we have attained. So here we go. What's the prize? If you guys are a type A personality and you want to know what the layout is of where we're headed, what's the prize? How did we get it? And then what do we do once we have it? Sound good? I just felt like there was a couple people that just breathed. They're like, oh, okay, we know where we're going. What is the prize? How do we get it? And what do we do once we have it? So what's the prize? Verse 14. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call. So that of is important, right? The prize is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The prize here is Jesus himself. He is the prize. Time with him, relationship with him, and ultimately eternity with him. He is the ultimate prize. There's these words that are used all throughout this passage. This Right? Not that I have already obtained this or have been made perfect. And, and then he uses the word it. Not that I have made it my own. What is he saying here? He's talking about being united with God in relationship and resurrection through Jesus' finished work on the cross. This full unification. That's what we experience in salvation. And this prize is, is translated something that is awarded to a victor. Something that's given to a victor, a reward given. So like wives, I want you to think when your husband's proposed to you. Now, my guess is that when you were staring into his beautiful, gorgeous eyes, that his good looks and charm was not really the thing that you were, you were focused on. Now, I know some of your husbands, and that's why I say that, right? So... Um, so I know that the size of the ring or the beauty of the ring wasn't really the full focus. I know the environment that he set up or how he set that up was not really the focus. All that's great and awesome. We can enjoy that. But that's not why you would have said yes. You would have said yes because of him. That you wanted to spend the rest of your life with him. Not the ring or those charming good looks, because you knew those were going to fade over time. And for some of them, they didn't even have it to begin with, right? So those good looks, no, him, the person. Jesus is the prize. And so when we're reading this passage, we can think that this is like a health, wealth, and happiness passage of Scripture, that there's some prize other than God. But that's not what it's saying. God is the prize. The hope yesterday with the metal detector was not that they found some cheap coins. I mean, do we even use coins in our society anymore? Right? Just a penny, a, a nickel, a dime? No, it was relationship with one another. It was each other, the prize. That was the win. So how do we get it? Well, I think this is really important because our culture and our society is so enamored with earning favor is so enamored with pulling up our bootstraps and getting to work, so, so focused on progress and performance that we miss how we actually get the prize. How do we get it? Jesus himself 
gives it to us. Let's look at the passage. Look at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because, if you write in your Bible, I would circle that word, Christ Jesus has made me his own. He has made me his own. He has done the work. He has completed the task of making me his own. I love what uh, the Greek says here. It's this, this idea of laying hold and seizing something. This is what Jesus does to us. It's actually this term that means to take aggressively. That for you, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, that he has taken hold of you, that he has aggressively gone after you and, and wooed you into relationship with him. He has fully given himself to us. There is no greater way he could have given himself than to die on the cross for us. The ultimate thing for you and I that God has given us is his life. To only raise again so that we can know him and be in relationship with him and united with him forever through nothing that we do because he has already taken hold of us. God doesn't hold back. He doesn't hold back. He is with us. He is for us. He delights in us. I love Romans 5, 8. It says, God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I know that there are people here today that look in the mirror and cannot believe that there is a God out there that knows all and is in all and is everywhere and he's all-knowing and he looks at us and actually delights in us because we know our own sin. But Romans 5, 8 is so clear that while we were still sinners, when you were at your worst, Christ died for you. That's huge. I know it's huge for me because I know how big of a sinner I am. I know where I mess up. Now, you can look up here. but I mean, we only do this stage thing, and this is like for line of focus and sight. But there is no difference between anybody who stands up here and anybody who sits out there. Nothing. We are all sinners saved by grace. And what we tend to do is we tend to put people on these pedestals and forget that we are all redeemed by a Savior who has won it all for us, who has finished the work for us. Jesus has given us himself, the fullness of himself. And so my job, my only role, is to point you to him. Because he is good. And he loves you. And so when we're looking at this, we, we struggle because we say, well then, how do we do this? How do we get this? Because our culture makes us believe that there's some way that we need to earn it. There's something that we have to do to pay it back. But the language in verses 7 through 16 is clear. There are words, starting in verse 7, gain. That sounds like something I need to do. Worth, gain. Verse 8, 10. No, verse 11, attain. Right? There's this prize that I have to strive for. Verse 16, attain. These are words that are speaking of something given, not something we get. What do I mean by that? The language here is not an accomplishment we achieve, but an inheritance that we receive. The words here mean profit, acquire, receive. 
it all points back to everything that Paul has previously said. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. Romans 9, 16. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. Romans eleven sixteen, but if it is by grace, it is no longer a basis of works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. And we wrestle with that, and we struggle with that, because then we think, well, then should we just do whatever we want to do, and then God's just going to keep giving us grace. Paul addresses that in Romans. He says, no, I don't keep on sinning so that grace may abound, but actually, I do something else, and that's what we're going to see. See, this right here, this is an invitation for us to be humble. This is an invitation for us to be humble because it's not about you. He's not said, um, I attain something, but actually what he says, I have not obtained this. There's a big difference between obtain and attain. Right? He says that attain means when one achieves or reaches or sets a certain goal or criteria. Obtain means when you actually acquire something. So in verse 12a, when he says, not that I have already obtained this, not that I have received this but, or have been made perfect, this full resurrection of my body, but I press on to the resurrection, to ultimate glorification with God as my Father. And so he's like, I'm not, I'm not perfected right now. I have not finished the race now, but I have been perfected. And I know we sit there and we're like, that's confusing. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. I, I, he says attained. He says obtained. He says, I'm not perfected, but then we see that the, the work is finished. So what do we do? <laughs> is, this, is this confusing to anybody else? Well, here's where it is. And this is what's so beautiful. Verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. I do not consider that I have made the resurrection my own, that I've not forged this relationship with God my own. But one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. And I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Here's what I do. I press on. This word here means to passionately pursue. I passionately pursue joy in Jesus alone. I passionately pursue relationship with Jesus alone. He is the treasure. He is the joy. He is the thing I seek after. You know, I think so often I get so caught up in the things around me, in the world around me. I get caught up in... Um, our culture, I get caught up in politics, I get caught up in um, where the world I think is headed, I get caught up in trying to figure out what's next. I love control. I love to know what's about to happen. I love to, to um, be prepared. I love to feel like I have the ability to uh, make it. I feel, I feel this uh, innate desire to... Um, to succeed. But all of that 
is rubbish in comparison to knowing God. Man, we could try so hard to not mess up. We can try so hard to not screw up. We can try so hard to, um, to be successful in the eyes of the world. And what that ends up doing is that ends up causing us to put on these masks, to act like we have it all together, to act like we figured it out. And that's exactly what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees are religious teachers in Scripture that Jesus continually, over and over again, went to and said, this is a heart issue. You're acting like you have it all together. You've put these masks on. You have this cup that on the outside looks so clean and so sparkly, but on the inside it's filthy. And so he says, clean the inside of the cup. And so I think that for us today, as we look at this passage of Scripture, that I think can, can be somewhat controversial in our culture because we want, to, we want to figure this stuff out. But there's a mystery here that, that I think for all of us we can't miss. And that mystery is the fact that God himself, the creator of all things, the one who spoke the world into being, that spoke you into being, that knitted and formed you in your mother's womb, that he has passionately pursued you for relationship. That he has sent Jesus. What is that? God himself wrapped himself in human flesh. When you think about that, he wraps himself in human flesh to be born in, in this vulnerable state of a baby, not in some palace, but in this small, dirty little manger that animals ate out of. So that he can live a life that we could never live. A life of perfection. One that, that God requires perfection to live in relationship with him. That's what he requires. Jesus did that. He lived a life of perfection for us because we couldn't do it. And God knew that we couldn't do it. And then he's murdered. He's placed on the cross because of you and me. By you and me. I would like to think that if I was there, I'd be the one like championing, no, don't kill him. Don't crucify him. I feel like I'd be the one that's going in the crowd being like, hey, you guys got this all wrong. I'm not that special. I'm not that smart. I think we forget that, that we sit on the other side of the cross and we look back and sometimes it could just lose its luster. It can lose passion because we think, oh, we received this by a gift and then we're just going to go on and live our lives and do what we want to do. And maybe every now and again, we're going to show up at church. Maybe every now and again, we're going to um, put something in the offering basket and we're going to go hold a baby. Maybe every now and again, we're going to help our neighbor or, or do something nice for somebody. But we kind of forget that life is all about being in relationship with God. So when we wake up in the morning and we go to our phones quicker than we go to our Bibles, that's a big deal. When we wake up in the morning and, and we set off to the gym before actually fixing and focusing our hearts and minds on the one who allowed us to wake up and still be breathing and actually have the ability to sit up and get out of bed, 
then our minds and our hearts have lost focus of why we even exist. And so, what do we do? We passionately pursue joy in Jesus alone. And so how does he say to do this? We forget what's behind. I think here's the problem. We're so hardwired to look back. Is that you? Maybe it's just me. Right? I know that uh, Maya, she's so funny in this season. She's three years old. And anytime like, anybody's chasing her, what does she do? Does she look towards where she's going? No, right? She's looking back over her shoulder, running without looking, and constantly will run into walls or different objects because she's not looking forward. That's what we do in our lives. We're continually looking back. We look back at our failures, and we look back at our accomplishments. We're continually looking back at what has happened. And there's a time and a place for that, but, but I think what Paul is saying here is, is we have to forget what is behind because we have to keep our eyes fixed and focused on what is ahead, well, what is ahead? It's Jesus. He's telling us to keep our eyes fixed and focused on Jesus. Do you know those, ever see horses with the blinders on, right? Why is that, why do they put those on them? Because they're so prone to steer and look and get scared by things that are all around them. Horses' eyes, they can see a much more peripheral vision than you and I can see. And so they put the blinders on so that nothing spooks them and they don't take off and kill the people that are in the carriage. Right? To focus and fix our eyes on what is ahead, the path that is ahead. And that path leads to Jesus. Nothing else but Jesus. And so he's saying, forget what is behind. And I think with our failures, I think those can become so toxic. Our failures can really become toxic. We look back at our past and we look at uh, addiction and affairs and divorce and things that we have failed in. And they become so toxic on who we are today. And we think, I can't do this because, and then we look back. I did that. I did that. I failed here. I failed there. Paul's saying, forget. That's all been taken up in the cross. Every single failure, past, present, and future, has been absorbed by the beauty and the grace and the mercy of God through Jesus on the cross. So, forget what is behind. And then our accomplishments. And I think we can live in this, like, glory days world? Anybody? Anybody high school quarterback? Right? You ever meet somebody like that where you're like hanging out and you're at like a picnic or something and some guy comes up and he's like, oh yeah, I used to be the high school quarterback, you know, two-time all-neighborhood. And right, and he goes to picks up the ball and he's like, hey, and he goes, go long. And then he can't even get it like halfway there. And he's like, oh yeah, I used to be really good, but uh, my shoulder had surgery, you know. Right? We live in these glory days. We keep looking back, oh, I used to be, I used to be, I used to be. But man, God has something big for you and for me now. And he is calling us to something. We have to stop just waiting to die. But we actually have to live for the glory of God, keeping our eyes fixed and focused on him. So what he said, he says, strain forward. Keep your eyes fixed and focused on Jesus. I love those racing fails. I don't know if you've ever seen them on YouTube, but it's all these racers who are running these huge races and races, and they have these huge leads. And then all of a sudden they, they start looking around, looking behind them, and they start going around, and then they start slowing down. Right? And they start celebrating before they even cross the finish line. And then that one, that one joker is just like booking it and they fly past them right at the last second. And then the person's like, oh, man, right? Like, stop looking around. Stop looking back. Keep your eyes fixed and focused and run. That's why he says, press on. Passionately pursue. Passionately pursue Jesus. The word there, the Greek word D I O K O, like a hunter 
chasing its catch. I love those shows, right? Watch a, a lion coming out of the, the brush to get a gazelle. I mean, they are booking it. He's saying, keep your eyes fixed and focused on the one thing that matters, which is Jesus. If you really believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you have found the one thing that's actually worth pursuing in this world. And I, I know that if you're here today and you don't believe in Jesus and you don't know about Jesus and you don't know who he is and what he's done for you, I know that coming in a church can be super weird. I know that it can be super awkward because you're coming in and there's a bunch of people that are opening up a book that talks about this man. And then you're sitting here and you're watching people cry and raise their hands and sing songs to a, a person and you're going, what is going on? But here's what I want you to know. There's a God that loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you, to be raised from the dead so that you can have life eternally. And believers, I think this is important because we can get so fixed and focused on the present that we forget that this world is not our home. This world is not our home. I mean, when you look at eternity, are you thinking about how eternity is all about worshiping and celebrating God? I think we've done a bad job in our culture today, in our society today, of, of painting a picture of heaven that's all about us. It's so me-focused. Right? When I get to heaven, I'm going to have this huge mansion. There's going to be these streets of gold. I'm going to have all this great stuff, and I'm not going to have any more pain, no more hurt, no more crying, no more tears. Yeah, that's all good, but that's not going to be the focus of heaven. The focus of heaven is going to be Jesus and worshiping our creator for all of eternity. Right now, currently, in heaven, there's a throne. And on that throne sits an amazing God. And around that, th that throne... Scripture says are four beasts. One has the head of an ox, one of a lion, one of a human. I want to say one of an eagle, maybe. Right? He has six wings. Two he flies, two he covers his face, two he covers his feet. And they're flying around. Now, I don't know about you, but if I see this flying beast that has the head of a lion or the head of an ox, like flying around outside, I'd be pretty in awe and enamored by that. But none of them day and night, currently, right now, are focused and fixed on watching each other going, man, that's really cool that you got the head of a lion. Man, you've got a head of an ox. Man, I'm so jealous of that. Wish I had horns. Day and night, they have their hearts and their minds fixed and focused on the one on the throne. And they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's eternity for us. My fear is that we have a misunderstanding of what heaven is and what eternity is going to be, so we really misunderstand what life is supposed to be. Life is not about health, wealth, and happiness. Life is not about um, doing the right thing and pulling up our bootstraps and getting to work. And I'm not saying that any of that is bad. What I'm saying is that's not the focus. That's not the prize. The prize is Jesus. And for us, if we could even get a glimpse, and that's why even with the song that we were singing about the Holy Spirit falling on this place, the Holy Spirit needs to do a work in us in such a way where all of a sudden that we begin to have an understanding that, that God 
is our focus, that God is our delight, that God is our treasure, that he is the prize. And if that actually becomes a reality in our lives, then I guarantee you that every single person in this room, including me, our lives will drastically change. Not because they have to, not because we need to earn that or we have to pay it back, but because we delight in enjoying God forever. So in this passage, Paul is saying, I press on for the prize of the upward call in God in Christ Jesus. He is saying, I passionately pursue a relationship with God in such a way that he is my prize, that he is my treasure, that he is what my eyes are fixed and focused on. And all the other stuff, it's like rubbish because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Let's pray. Father, I know this is big and I know sometimes it could be confusing because even as we translate words from different languages over to English and, and we see these words and we read these passages and we pull them out of context, it's so easy for us to, to get sidetracked from what you're trying to say to us. I know all week as I've been wrestling through this passage, God, the thing that you've been pressing on me the most is that, that I have even lost my desire to passionately pursue you as my greatest treasure. God, I know that there's a church in the seven churches of Revelation that you speak to and you say you've lost your first love. God, if that's us today, God, I pray that you would do only what you can do and you can spark a fire in our hearts and in our soul so that that we will receive passion and awe and wonder of who you are. God, if we are lukewarm, God, I pray that we would either be hot or cold, that we would be useful for your glory in a way that is passionate about you and your glory and your name. God, I pray that we stop being fearful or scared about what the world is going to say when we're at work or when we're at the gym or or the people that we come in contact with and, and we're so scared, God, to, to share with them the good news that you have come to seek and save the lost, to share the testimony of how you brought us from death to life because we're scared that they're going to call us a Jesus freak or that, that they're going to tell us that we're weird or that we're being politically incorrect. But God, you have not called us to be politically correct. You have called us to share your good news with every single man, every single woman, and every single child. And so, God, I do pray that we would forget what is behind. God, there's, there's so many things that as we've grown up that we've heard, whether it's from culture or even the church, that is just wrong. Things like we have to earn your favor or somehow we need to pay it back. God, I pray that you would reveal truth to our hearts and our minds and that our passionate pursuit of you is not out of obligation, but it's out of joy and delight and wonder. God, that we would be a people who would celebrate that every time we would gather together, whether it's in homes or here or in a Bible study or for coffee, that it would be a party of celebrating the one who has given us life and life to the full. God, if we are people who are fearful of singing, God, I pray that you would create a joyful song in our hearts and our minds. 
God, if we're fearful of raising our hands, help humble us, God, to where we would reach up to you as a child would reach up to the Father and reach out and say, God, hold me now. God, if we're fearful of trusting you with our finances, God, I pray that you would do only what you can do and help us trust you and you alone as our provider. God, if we're fearful of the future, we're fearful of what may come, whether it is uh, sickness. God, if there are people here that are struggling with sickness or hurts or habits or addiction, God, I pray that we would forget what is behind and we would keep our eyes fixed and focused on you. God, that we would not just spend the rest of our lives waiting to die, God, but we would spend the rest of our lives passionately pursuing joy in you. That every day when we woke up, when every day when we opened our eyes, God, that we would desire you. And in the days where we don't, God, I pray you would do a mighty work. I pray you would remind us in those moments that we are loved children. And in those moments, God, that you would take hold of us just like you say in your word. So Father, help us place our trust and our hope in you and you alone. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.